Hey, welcome back. Episode three of the Steve Noble podcast. And uh, let's see, in the news this week, we're going to talk about the Alabama in vitro fertilization controversy. Trump off the ballot in Illinois now, Texas versus USA again. Uh, the White House now calling illegal, illegal immigrants newcomers. And then a couple of really funny things from the Babylon Bee. And then Joe Rogan, the biggest podcast on the planet. Joe Rogan talking about, we need Jesus. Then we're going to spend a little time in the classroom. We'll be in my uh, Christian ethics class talking about euthanasia. And then the uh, last but certainly not least, in the book, uh, we're going to talk about the parable, the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. Because next Tuesday, at least here in North Carolina, is primary day, Super Tuesday around the country. And the parable of the talents, what am I going to do with that? You'll find out soon enough. Welcome to the Steve Noble Podcast. Tons of truth, lots of grace, but no sacred cows. Now, let the show begin. Okay, welcome back. So this whole, have you, have you heard about this? The whole situation in Alabama with in vitro fertilization, uh, which a lot of people don't even know what that is. I have my handy dandy fundamental Christian ethics book right here from one of my professors from my master's degree, Dan Heinbach. So we'll go there in a second. But here's what's going on. And then the Alabama state legislature, this has got the Republican Party in a bit of a pickle from my perspective as a Christian ethicist, but Probably not from there. So this is the story. Alabama state legislature overwhelmingly passes bill protecting in vitro fertilization. Okay, so we'll pull this part here in a second. Both chambers of the Alabama legislature overwhelmingly passed legislation Thursday, yesterday, protecting patients and medical professionals from civil and criminal liability for in vitro fertilization treatments. The move comes after the state Supreme Court. This broke not that long ago, considered, uh, they, they had a ruling that embryos are considered children causing panic among in vitro fertilization advocates. What's the problem with referring to them as children? Okay, that's the rub here. And the challenge for the Republicans. The state Supreme Court in February ruled that frozen embryos are what they call extra uterine children and legally protected like any other child. The decision led many providers in the state to halt IVF in vitro fertilization for fear of facing possible homicide charges when handling embryos during the IVF process. I'll explain that in a second. The ruling received national opposition from both Republicans and Democrats. Alabama's February decision that frozen embryos should be legally treated as children had impacts across the country. If a frozen embryo is a child, what about a, what about a fetus, a baby? At uh, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. Oh, that's a child too. <laughs> see, see? Uh, interesting, isn't it? Especially for the Democrats. U.S. Senators brought a bill Wednesday, U.S. Senate, okay? Under unanimous consent that would have enshrined IVF protections for parents and doctors, but it was blocked by a Republican senator from Mississippi and Florida. A bill that critics say would have bolstered fetal personhood legal arguments was shelved Monday as Republicans rushed to support in vitro fertilization. The Alabama Supreme Court ruling put U.S. Senate Republicans in a tough spot, as indicated by a memo that went out three days after the decision. National Republican Senatorial Committee Executive Director Jason Thielman cited the overwhelming support for fertility treatments, even among conservative voters, in a memo that encouraged senators to come out in support for IVF. All right, so where's the rub? Hold on. We're getting there. He called the ruling fodder for Democrats hoping to manipulate the abortion issue for electoral gain. 
going on to say there are zero Republican Senate candidates who support efforts to restrict access to, for, for, to fertility treatments. Uh, former President Donald Trump also called on Alabama lawmakers to reverse the decision and spoke out in support of IVF in vitro fertilization. So here you go. There it is. One of my professors. Awesome books, Fundamental Christian Ethics. And so how do we deal with this as Christians in vitro fertilization? In fertilization pardon me. What's the rub? Okay, reading from Dr. Heimbach's book. In vitro fertilization, IVF, is a third method of assisting reproduction that involves mixing sperm with eggs in a lab. It is, quote-unquote, in vitro, literally meaning in glass, because fertilization takes place in a glass petri dish and contrasts with fertilizing in vivo, which means in a living thing, which is how it occurs in, in natural intercourse, and then, of course, artificial insemination. Uh, takes place within inside the woman's body requires obtaining eggs from an egg source either the wife or a donor and sperm from a sperm source either the husband or a donor and uniting the gametes in a lab resulting zygotes are allowed to become embryos that are ranked by health sex and other desired characteristics yikes did you catch that and then based on that ranking decisions are made as to how many and which two here's the rub if you're a christian how many, which to save or discard? So when the Alabama Supreme Court says, oh, those are human beings, then you can't just chuck a human being in the garbage, at least not from the Alabama Supreme Court's perspective and hopefully from yours. Lastly, IVF requires an embryologist to insert the favored embryos into a woman's uterus, either the wife or a surrogate, where they have a chance to implant and develop. Let's jump over to another conclusion section. We should empathize, Dr. Heimbach writes, with the longing of childless couples. Amen. But no one should think methods and procedures like in vitro fertilization, egg harvesting, sperm donating, embryo transfer, surrogacy, screening desirable characteristics, that's like designer babies, sperm injection, selective reduction, or freezing embryos are not tempting to us to view childbearing in ways less than sacred if you're a Christian then Republicans don't set the standard, Democrats don't set the standard, the law doesn't set the standard, and your feelings don't set the standard. Scripture sets the standard. The Bible gives no reason to avoid benefits-solving malfunctions of reproduction any more than benefits-solving malfunctions of our digestive, circulatory, or urinary systems. But we must do without lessening the sanctity of life, marriage, procreating, getting pregnant, and parenting. The biggest problem with in vitro fertilization... Uh, do you have a right to have children? I know this is a touchy subject. Do you have a right to have children? You do not. And you have to wrestle with maybe it's God's will that a couple doesn't get pregnant. Or it's just part of the fall and God allows it. He's sovereign on top of everything. But the biggest problem I have as a Christian ethicist, somebody with a master's degree and that teaches it, and we're going to spend some time uh, in the classroom today on that segment in uh, talking about euthanasia. That's directly from my Christian ethics class that I teach at Noble U for high schoolers. The biggest problem with in vitro uh, fertilization is selective reduction. Uh, we have three ready to go. How many do you want? And the more we implant, the better chance you have of having at least one live birth. So now you're playing the odds and you're purposefully taking a shot at not having these children live on purpose by man's intervention, uh, or you just discard them. So think here, it's the easiest way for you to think about this. Just think of a three-month-old baby and chuck it in the garbage. 
Okay, if you're a pro-life Christian and hold to a Christian ethic, that is a human being from the moment of conception. All the DNA you have right now sitting there listening to me or watching on YouTube or Rumble, all the DNA information you have right now, you got at the moment of conception. So you're a human being right then and there. So we don't just chuck you because there's too many of you. And that's the problem with in vitro fertilization. Plus you, you bring a, you have a sperm donor that's got issues, obviously masturbation, that's an issue. You have an egg donor, and are we monkeying around too much with God's program? God designed children to be the result of sexual union between a, a husband and his wife. And that's it. Now, can we give you treatments to help production of sperm or, or, or try to help your, your production of eggs? As long as we're working with the original material in the box. But IVF and these other things, artificial insemination, goes outside the box. And that's why you should have a problem with it. But it's, I, I don't say that lightly. I can't imagine the situation when you can't get pregnant. But not being able to get pregnant doesn't give, at least from a Christian perspective, doesn't give you the right to, to take God's perspective, clearly defined in his word and, and how we are supposed to be creating life, and just chuck it because it sucks that you can't get married. Or, sorry, that you can't get pregnant. I mean, that's heartbreaking. And so you have to approach this subject gently with a lot of compassion. So I'm with Alabama, because uh, with the state Supreme Court anyway, because I don't want us just chucking children. That's why they use that phrase, extra uterine children. They're children outside the womb. And they are. But we go, oh, no, no, Steve, that's just a zygote. No, it isn't. It's a human being at its earliest level of development. Still human beings, not anything else. If it's not a human, what is it, friend? What is it? It's a fetus. Well, what's a fetus? Got two arms, two legs, two eyes, a nose, two ears, circulatory system, a heart, a brain, appendix, lungs. What? What is that? Uh, yeah, that's a human. Okay, Trump is disqualified from Illinois ballot. Moving on, judge rules. <laughs> Just, you know what this is? Got it in my hand if you're watching the video. That's called a pocket U.S. Constitution. We'll get to that thing in a second. That's real. All right, it's not a relic. Uh, February 28th from Reuters, an Illinois state judge, this just happened this week, on Wednesday, barred Donald Trump from appearing on the Illinois Republican presidential primary ballot because of his role in the insurrection. <laughs> Panty raid. At the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, but she delayed her ruling from taking effect in light of an expected appeal by the former U.S. president. Cook County Circuit Judge Tracy Porter, thank you, Illinois, sided with Illinois voters who argued that the former president should be disqualified from the state's March 19th primary ballot and its November 5th general election ballot for violating the anti-insurrection clause of the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment, which I'll read to you. Here it is in a second. The final outcome of the Illinois case and similar challenges will likely be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court, which heard arguments related to Trump's ballot eligibility on February 8th. The advocacy group Free Speech for People, which spearheaded the Illinois disqualification effort, praised the ruling as a historic victory in a statement. It's historic, all right. Has anybody got a match so I can light this little pocket constitution on fire? A campaign spokesperson for Trump, the national front runner, obviously, said in a statement that this is an unconstitutional ruling that we will quickly appeal, as they should. Colorado and Maine earlier removed Trump, and that's when it went to the Supreme Court. Okay, so, so let me uh, be so bold as to crack this bad boy open over here. Here we go. This little pocket, little pocket constitution I have. <laughs> it probably makes me an insurrectionist. Uh, Amendment 14, these are called the... Um, Oh, I just turned 58. 
and here, here I am having what my father used to call a senior moment, the Reconstruction Amendments after the Civil War. Thank you, Lord. Amendment 14. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. So what, what are we calling these freed slaves? They're citizens. That's section one. Sections two, representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state, excluding Indiana, not tax. That's, that has nothing to do with this uh, story today. And section three, also, no person shall be a senator or representative of Congress or, listen, or elector of president and vice president, meaning in the electoral college, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature, so that, that's Trump, he qualifies for all that stuff, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, so not just federal government, but any state, to support the Constitution of the United States. So you swore to protect the Constitution, right, from all enemies, foreign and domestic, if that's you. Uh, but you shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, meaning against the Constitution of the U.S., or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. So it's saying, if you are guilty of insurrection, or rebellion against uh, the country, or, or you gave aid or comfort to the enemies of the country, then you can't run for office. Section 3, Amendment 14, U.S. Constitution, Reconstruction Amendments. So what's the rub there? You understand their point. This is what they're trying to do. They're saying what happened on January 6, 2021, was Donald Trump leading an insurrection, a rebellion against the nation. That's what that was. And because he led an insurrection, then uh, he's not qualified to run for office. So they did that in Colorado, Maine, and now Illinois. The problem is <laughs> this, once again. And in our nation, under the rule of law, you are innocent until proven guilty. You actually have to be accused of a crime and then proven guilty. Donald Trump has not been accused of insurrection, not in a court of law, and he certainly hasn't been found guilty. Now, when we're talking about the leaders of the Confederacy, they were guilty, <laughs> obviously, because uh, they went to war with the United States of America. They all signed on to the uh, Articles of Confederation. They all officially said, we are leaving the Union we are seceding, and they all signed on the dotted line, and so they obviously, in action, easily provable, they were guilty, uh, and so that's why we had the 14th Amendment. But Donald Trump hasn't done anything like that. And even when he you know, gets everybody amped up at the rally down there at the Ellipse on January 6, 2021, and he told them to go down there and be peaceful but make your voices heard, that doesn't sound like uh, go in there and kill everybody and take over. And I'll be there right after you guys. Get it all cleaned up. I'll come in. I'll sit in the, in the main dais there in the House or the Senate. Maybe I'll, I'll sit down in both, and I'll declare myself the dictator of America, and we'll take over. <laughs> now, if he had done that, then, yeah, I'm with you. 14th Amendment, but he hasn't. So now you've got people, including the Colorado Supreme Court, that now they want, this is not the rule of law in America. This is the rule of your opinion about somebody you hate. Lawfare, warfare, lawfare, they call it. Rightly so. Is it election interference? Yeah, obviously. And it's, and again, I'm not a MAGA hat wearing guy. I'll vote for him if I have to. Uh, I'm voting for DeSantis in the primary. Oh, did I just lose you? For me, that's a conscious vote. I'm voting my conscience. I wanted DeSantis. I didn't want Trump. But with Trump as the nominee in November, I'll vote for Trump. The third time, by the way. So get off my back. But here they go. They don't care about the rule of law. They don't care whether you're found innocent or guilty. They just take the law into their own hands and declare it so. 
That's called the constitutional crisis. Same thing that's happening. Well, right down on Texas. Let's look at that one. Judge halts Texas law that would would uh, allow po- police to arrest, deport illegal immigrants. Claims Biden hasn't abandoned the border. A Texas border. A Texas federal judge on Thursday placed a preliminary injunction on a new Texas law that would allow local authorities to arrest and deport immigrants who enter the state illegally. Wow, those those Texas people are nuts, aren't they? Senate Bill 4, signed into law in December by Republican Governor Greg Abbott, would make illegally crossing the southern border into Texas a Class B misdemeanor. (laughs) No kidding. Local law enforcement officials would have the authority from the state to arrest, detain, prosecute, and even deport illegal immigrants. Individuals who refused to leave could be charged with a second-degree felony and face up to 20 years in prison. Those caught smuggling illegal immigrants into the state could be sentenced to at least 10 years in prison. Abbott hoped to address the state's immigrant crisis by cracking down on repeated attempts to enter Texas by creating the offense of an illegal reentry and penalize offenders. This is just Texas exercising its rights as an, as an individual state to protect itself. Okay. Shortly after signing the bill, the Biden administration sued Texas, claiming the law is preempted and violates the United States Constitution. The Department of Justice contended that, contended that Senate Bill 4 intrudes into a field that is occupied by the federal government and conflicts with various provisions of the Immigration and Nationality Act. <laughs> this is Texas's whole problem, and the rest of us, our problem with the Biden administration, is they're not enforcing the border. And if the, if the federal government's not going to enforce the border, and it's having devastating effects on your state, like in Texas, then Texas has a right as an independent state under the, uh, 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 the 10th Amendment to defend itself, take care of itself. When in doubt... Mm-hmm. States have rights. So they're, they're appealing to their rights to defend themselves and to police themselves, especially when the federal government doesn't do it. But here you got the, the U.S. District Judge David Ezra, who was appointed by President Reagan. Uh, in his 114-page ruling, he rejected Texas's claims that the Biden administration has failed to enforce federal immigration laws. <laughs> oh, God. That unbelievable quote. The court is sympathetic to Texas's concerns at the border, but to say that the Biden administration has abandoned the field of immigration is to take hyperbolic criticism. Literally, he wrote contrary to Texas's position. The record is replete with examples and evidence of the federal government carrying out its immigration duties. Really? Where is this Texas judge stuck in 2019 when Trump was the president? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, Texas has every right to defend itself. This is federalism. That's the tension between the federal government and the state government. And by the way, did you notice what happened when Texas said, we're not going to uh, take our razor wire down, and the federal government said, you have to. We're in charge here, not you guys. You, 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 do you remember what happened next? Nothing. Texas stood its ground, and the Biden administration backed down, which is the way federalism is supposed to work in this country. When in doubt, the power goes to the state, and if the federal government's not doing it, the state has a right to protect itself. And this got the White House in trouble, too. White House savaged for calling illegal immigrants newcomers. So we used to call them illegal aliens, then illegal immigrants, then asylum seekers. That's the the phrase of the day for the last year and a half. Uh, And now the White House is going to call them newcomers. Like, pop the champagne. Hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's some cookies. To complement his visit to the Texas border today, the White House released highlights. That was Biden yesterday. It goes to a place where nobody crosses. Release highlights of the unpassable comprehensive border legislation in the Senate. In it, they wrote, the bill also includes $1.4 billion for cities and states who are providing critical services to newcomers and would expedite work permits for people who are in the country and qualify. Now they're calling them newcomers. Of course, because 
you know, we got 8 million of them added here in the, in the country in the last three years. So if you call them newcomers, that, that, that sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds welcoming. So once we do amnesty and we make them all citizens, then who are they going to vote for? Probably the party that called them newcomers and gave them $10,000 debit cards like they're doing in New York. <laughs> it's crazy. The House GOP caucus wrote on X, otherwise known as Twitter, the Biden White House is now referring to illegal immigrants as newcomers. Joe Biden is not serious about stopping the illegal immigration in the United States. This is a catastrophe by design. Uh, Representative Tom Tiffany said on X, this is absurd, all caps. He has no interest in putting an end to the invasion. He just wants us to use more of your tax dollars to aid and abet it. I agree. Turning point, Charlie Kirk wrote, a newcomer just brutally murdered Lake and Riley along with 100,000 other Americans every year from fentanyl poisoning. Your government hates you. Uh, that's a little hyperbolic, but not terribly. Senator Mike Braun from Indiana wrote, while touting the $1.4 billion of taxpayer money they want to spend on feeding and housing illegal immigrants, Biden's at White House just referred to illegal crossers as newcomers, and t columnist Tammy Bruce added, Mr. Orwell is not surprised. <laughs> no kidding. You believe that, newcomers? Like, what's that all about? Hey, by the way, I uh, just wanted to... Uh, remind you of our good friends at Landmark Capital did uh, our first uh, podcast of the year with David Fisher, landmarkgold.com. He's an awesome brother in Christ. We've been doing, we did radio from 2016 through uh, right, right to the end of the last week uh, when I did radio, finished the radio show on December 22nd this past year. And David's a fantastic man of God, great wife, great business. I, I was super skeptical about gold it sounded like glenn beck wacky stuff and then i spent literally hours with him on the phone back in 2016 and then i got it educated it's part of a, of a of a balanced portfolio it's nice when we bought some gold and silver ourselves to actually take possession of something that has value like that you're like wow look at this this is real it's not i'm not looking at it on a website and the government can't touch it and it's in a safe deposit box allegedly safe uh but it, it's just one part of a of a diverse portfolio but get educated about it. it might not be for you but you should at least check it out we've done quite well with our gold and silver purchases so landmarkgold.com is david's website landmarkgold.com you can check out our recent podcast with david the guy's been in the business for 29 years he knows what he's talking about he's great in dealing with the banking industry the economy in general really really smart guy and a brother in christ full of the holy spirit so check out uh, landmark capital landmarkgold.com is their website as always landmarkgold.com Dot com. Uh, let me show you this. This is kind of funny uh, on the video, and I'll explain this to you. Uh, can't take myself off the video, silly guy. Let's go over here uh, to the browser. Look at this one. <laughs> Biden visits border to cut ribbon for official border grand opening. If you're only listening to the audio, it's a picture of Joe when he was a little bit younger, looked more healthy. He's got a big smile on his face, the pair of scissors. He's cutting a, a blue ribbon. And with a bunch of people around him and the border wall, at least the part that got built, is in the background. Babylon B is so funny. Brownsville, Texas, in a long-awaited move expected to generate some attention. President Joe Biden arrived at the southern U.S. border today to cut the ribbon for its official grand opening. These guys crack me up. Alongside representatives from the Border Patrol and other government dignitaries, Biden presided over the ceremonial ribbon cutting to signify that the border between Mexico and Texas was now recognized as fully open for travel. Come one, come all, Biden said as he snipped the blue ribbon with scissors. Actually, he probably said it more like this. Come on, come all. Listen up, folks. We put a lot of work into this moment. There were some people who didn't want to wait for the grand opening. That's all right. They're still, they're still, it's okay if they, 
We're fine. I'm proud to declare the border officially open. Come on in and enjoy the festivities. Ice cream. <laughs> Babylon B. Here's the other one they had in there. Ballot box, uh, ballot drop boxes installed along border walls. So they, <laughs> they've got some pretty good uh, people at the B that take this stuff and, and just uh, put the pictures together. Pretty funny. And uh, Brownsville, Texas. Texas residents woke up Thursday morning to find general election ballot boxes had been placed along the southern border wall that divides parts of the U.S. from Mexico. Quote, I'm not sure where these ballot drop boxes came from, Brownsville residents said. Uh, some around town think it's something to do with the President Biden's visit to the border. I saw some of his folks down handing out mail-in ballots to these illegal guys who keep coming into town. Makes a person wonder what's up. <laughs> oh, God bless you, Babylon B. That's pretty funny. Okay, let's do this, and then we're going to do uh, in the classroom. We're doing in the news right now. Next, we're going to do in the classroom. But I, I saw this the other day, and I was like, what is going? What is happening here? Joe Rogan, the number one podcaster on the planet, right? The biggest podcast on the planet. I see this little thing on Twitter. It's like Joe Rogan uh, says, uh, come Lord Jesus, or something like that. I'm like, what? Now, the thing I love about Joe Rogan, I love this about Jordan Peterson, too, is that these guys are intellectually honest, so they're willing to consider positions that they don't currently hold they'll they'll follow the evidence they're they're smart men and they're saying okay i'm going to consider the evidence here and so joe rogan over the years as before he was very dismissive of christianity and you know old myths and old wives tales and stuff like that then then you get this this is wild uh that joe rogan was talking to aaron Rodgers, right aaron Rodgers, football player and joe rogan uh and, and i was like what come on really yeah really listen but don't you think there has to be some sort of field of value that can orient people into like, hey, let's do things a little bit better because these things actually matter. There is right and wrong. There is morality. Yeah. There is certain like. Well, unfortunately, the problem with living in a secular society right. and living in, in, in a society that has a lot of people that are atheists that have no belief system at all is you find a belief system, and that's a lot of these people that call themselves atheists or they've subscribed to the religion of woke. You know, their their God is equity and inclusiveness. And their, their God is this ideology that they think that you have to subscribe to. And that's why it's spooky, because people, human beings seem to have a very strong desire for some sort of order and form and some sort of pattern that they can follow that seems to be the right way to go. And they can be led they can be led by cults, they can be led by groups of people, they can be led by, you know, intolerant governments and, and evil armies and really corrupt politicians. Amazing. They can be led. But I think as time rolls on, people are gonna understand the need to have some sort of of divine structure to mm. things some sort of belief in the sanctity of love and of truth and a lot of that comes from religion a lot of people's moral compass and the guidelines that they've used to follow to live a just and righteous life has come from religion and unfortunately a lot of very intelligent people they dismiss all of the positive aspects of religion because they think that the stories are mere superstitious fairy tales that you know they're they have no place in this modern world and you know we're inherently good and your ethics are based on your old moral compass and we all have one and that's not necessarily true hmm. we need to we need jesus <laughs> just like, said for that. real like if he came back now it'd be great like jesus if you're thinking about coming back 
right now? Now's a good time. Yeah, pretty soon. Yeah. Now's a good time. Well, there's a lot of people that think that that's that might Aaron be coming. Rogers. Well, it might be. Mark of the Beast. If there is the Christianity part and, and Jesus wants to come back and save everything. It'd be good right around now. Yeah. Like, don't wait till the election. But don't you think that's... <laughs> uh, well, like, what do you think about that? Isn't that wild? So Joe Rogan, I mean, when you hear stuff like this, all right, let's do it right now. Okay, this is what you do. This is what I would encourage you to do when you hear stuff like this. Father God, I just want to lift up Joe Rogan to you right now. I don't know what's going on there. But I, I didn't hear him say stuff like this three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. He was, he was much more anti. And he's had a lot of <laughs> really interesting guests on and some new Christians, Lord, and people like Jordan Peterson that are forcing him to think clearly. And, and Lord, I pray that you're in this. Uh, for Joe Rogan, that you're opening his eyes, opening his heart. Your word says that nobody comes to the fa- to the son unless the father draws him. So we pray that you're drawing Joe Rogan to the truth. Open his eyes to the truth, Lord, that he might be born again. That would just be crazy. But no more important than anybody else being born again because our value is not found in your podcast or your wealth. It's just in the fact that you're born in the image of God. So we pray for Joe, born in your image that you would draw him to your son and he would be saved. In Christ's name, amen. See, that's what I would encourage us to do. We need to do that a lot more often. Pray without ceasing, my friends. Pray without ceasing. Okay, Christian ethics, since we were talking about that earlier. Uh, let me jump over here. If you're watching the video, I'm going to pull this up, the PowerPoint. Uh, and uh, this is going to be from my, we actually talked about this this week. Uh, euthanasia. Let me show you actually something else right quick. Let me get rid of that. And uh, let me go back to the browser capture. Because I want to show you um, something that uh, came out a little while ago. Let me get rid of the PowerPoint. Here's the browser. And here's what I want you to look at. A suicide pod prototype invented as alternative to assisted death. This story came out. Uh 2023, 2022, it's this, it looks like it's from the Jetsons. It looks like you, you could like ride this thing down a, a river. You get inside of it. It's a suicide pod. And literally you get inside and it fills it with nitrogen. You press the button. There's another picture if you're watching on the video. And uh, isn't that charming? That all of a sudden we're trying to make suicide fashionable, easier, and so there's that, okay? That's the suicide pods. And this is moving quickly over in Europe. And uh, what happens in Europe tends to happen, end up happening over here. But this is euthanasia, okay? So that's the question. Is how do you handle euthanasia as a Christian? So I just want to take you, we talked about it this week in my Christian ethics class for uh, Noble U. NobleUschool.com is the website, NobleUschool.com. By the way, you can audit these classes yourself I think every adult out there, including you and me, and, and I've learned it because I've had to teach it, uh, whether it's Christian ethics, U.S. history, world history, or civics, you probably need uh, work in those arenas. And you can audit my classes. Get the weekly videos of the class that I teach each week. I don't can them all and sell them for the next five years because I'm always teaching in a current context. Uh, I call it teaching in real time because you know me, I'm going to fold the news of the day in all the time. So my classes are relevant to today. We use what's going on in the world today as examples. And so 
this is a perfect one of them that Christian ethics is at the deep end of the pool. Uh, but we talked about euthanasia this week in my Christian ethics class. Uh, here's a, here's a quote from Milan Kundera who wrote the unbearable lightness of being that might sound familiar to you. Dogs do not have many advantages over people, but one of them is extremely important. Euthanasia is not forbidden by law. In their case, animals have the right to a merciful death, right? You've probably done that. I've done that. Why do we put our dogs and cats and whatever to sleep you're not putting them to sleep. You're hiring somebody to kill your pet. Okay? Let's talk the truth here. I don't mean to sound harsh, but that's what it is. But what's the difference between euthanizing a dog and euthanizing a human being? The dog is not made in the image of God. Jack Kevorkian, remember him, Dr. Death? He said dying is not a crime. And get, check this out. Ezekiel Emanuel, a bioethicist. Patients who are being kept alive by technology and want to end their lives already have a recognized constitutional right to stop any and all medical interventions from respirators to antibiotics. They do not need physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia. Correct. You have a living will. You can have a DNR. Do not resuscitate. Don't give me, don't go out of your way. Don't do anything. Just let me die naturally. Letting die versus causing death. Okay, that's the big deal here when you talk about uh, the ethics of euthanasia. Let me jump ahead real quick. Here's the case for, this is how people make the case for euthanasia. And this is picking up steam. There's states in America that are going down this road, doctor-assisted suicide. It's, it's definitely got a head of steam in Europe. It's going to get more and more common because we don't give a rip about human life. We don't understand it. That's part of our problem as human beings and people outside of the faith. And even people inside the faith don't necessarily understand this stuff, which is why I teach it. Uh, the case for euthanasia, anthropological, meaning they're not really there, your loved one's brain dead, whatever. They're not really there. So now you're decreasing the value of the person based on how mentally alert they are. That's obviously a slippery slope. Functionalism, lack of ability to function normally. Pain, speech, reason, interact. Uh, what kind of life is that? Utilitarianism, suffering is bad. It's a poor use of resources. Why keep somebody alive another two years then they're gonna die anyway? That's just a waste of money. Quality of life, a certain minimum standard. That life's not worth living. Right, that 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 was uh, my parents' position on abortion is like is with kids that Down syndrome, handicapped, serious handicaps, mental, physical. What kind of life is that? What kind of life is that to live? So all when you do that, I understand where they're coming from. They're wrong. They were wrong. When you do that, you're now tying uh, the value of a human life to its ability. So somebody that's a bigger contributor to a, the community or the culture or the business, whatever, is, is more valuable. The more, the more qualified you are, the more valuable you are. That's why when we talk about the pro-life thing, you go, who, how, who knows how many times we've, via abortion, we killed the, the person that was going to cure cancer. As if that's more egregious than aborting the baby that's not going to amount to much of anything. Nobody knows who you are. You don't accomplish much of anything. Maybe you're homeless. But, but if you're going to cure cancer, then we're really upset about that abortion. But if you're just going to work at Chick-fil-A or something, we're not so upset about that one. See the problem? The value of human life is found in the fact that it's, you're made in the image of God. End of story. That's it. <clears throat> and then you have to take that in Christian ethics into all of these different arenas. The quality of life doesn't matter. Autonomy. One can make one's own decisions. Like, it's my body, right? And uh, so there's that. And then here's the case against. The unique value of human life. We're not talking about putting a cat down here. We're talking about human beings. So you can't approach it the same way. It's a slippery slope. Where do you draw the line with euthanasia? There was a girl, a teenager, a couple of years back in Europe that uh, was able to legally do a doctor-assisted suicide because she was uh, struggling with depression. Do you make great decisions when you're struggling with depression or anxiety or any other kind of tough challenge? I'm not minimizing the challenge, but 
ending a human life, which has value, uh, is not the answer to that. Medical reasoning, you can have a wrong diagnosis. Fear and depression is, can be a problem with making decisions. There's new cures. Pain management, of course. Societal factors, doctors are licensed to kill, as opposed to the Hippocratic Oath, which says do no harm. And then biblical, the biblical case. All, all, all human life is sacred, all of it. Even if you're suffering and dying, your life is still sacred until the moment, by God's sovereignty, you're, you're no longer alive. Uh, consider 2 Samuel 1, 9 through 16. That's Saul's death. Remember the guy, Saul's injured, mortally injured, calls the guy over, says, hey, run me through. I'm not, I don't want these guys to capture me, and I don't want to go through all that, so just kill me. And the guy does, and he goes back to David, gives him the bad news about Saul. Remember, Saul was his enemy. And David's like, you know, tears his clothes and weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're, they're all upset about Saul, even though he was his enemy, because it's a sad story. Then, then David's like, hey, uh, whack this guy. And he has the guy killed. Saul asked the guy to kill him. The guy did it. He did what the king said. David kills the guy. Why? Because it wasn't that guy's right to take somebody else's life into their own hands, even at their, at their, at their behest. Saul asked him, just kill me. Well, I had to do what the king said. No, you don't listen to that king. You listen to the king. And the king puts a high value on human life. And it's not for us, except in the case of capital punishment or, or a just war, to take that life. That's why 2 Samuel 1, 9 through 16 is important. God's sovereignty, of course. The Lord, Job 1, 21, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Deuteronomy 32, 39, I put to death. I bring to life. That's all God's business, not ours. And the only time he gives us any right to mess with it is with capital punishment. Okay, it's another subject for another day. Prohibition against murder, God's sovereignty, uh, redemptive nature of suffering, Romans 5, 3 through 5. Suffering leads to perseverance, leads to character, leads to hope, even in the person, right? That's the point. So that suffering is not valueless. You got to have a proper perspective on life, Philippians 1, 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then our ultimate hope is actually found in death, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. And so that's how you come at these things when you're going to talk about, well, in this case, uh, Christian ethics that I teach at NobleU, NobleUSchool.com. Okay, let's let's finish up with, um, in the book, and I've got my trusty, here it is, remember this? I showed you this the last couple podcasts, uh, the ancient faith study Bible that I got from our son, Hayden, which is cool because it's got all these notes from church fathers back in the 300s, 400s, 500s, 600s, 700s. Really cool, fascinating way to study scripture. And so because of the uh, primary coming up on Tuesday, Super Tuesday, March 5th, uh, I, I, t I spoke at a, uh, a Republican gathering earlier this week. And, uh, you know, I, I, they invite me in. They know I'm a Bible thumper, and that's what I'm going to give them. And so I gave them this. I was in uh, Matthew 25. Verses 14 through 30. Let me read this for you, and then I'll explain and, and make application. And then uh, then at that point, we're just about done. I just want to pray for you, and then we'll be done. For it is uh, just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants, this is Jesus talking, and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more, but the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. 
His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents, way to go, bro. The man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. Like a little kid, right? His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Okay, what's the deal with that? Why did I bring that up at a Republican gathering earlier in the week? Uh, because, and I don't remember when, when somebody made application to your vote, you're, I look at voting like a talent. You have the ability in this country as an American citizen, hopefully, uh, to exercise your right to vote. You don't have to. But as a Christian, I think you have to. And I look at voting like a talent. That's your talent. You have this opportunity uh, because uh, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, which is very interesting to study. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, how many neighbors, friend, I'm asking you directly, how many neighbors do you have here in America? How many neighbors do you have? Now, are you... I live on Beachview Court. I'm thinking there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Then there's another court across the street, maybe four, uh, sixteen. I, I think I have sixteen neighbors. Were you thinking like that? Uh, don't. You're wrong. We're thinking biblically here, not geographically or by the U.S. Postal Service system. Uh, how many neighbors do you have in America? About 330 million. Do the policies of the federal and state governments affect your neighbors? Both close to you and further away? Do they affect your neighbors? They do. So how do you uh, sit there idly by and do nothing while the government, in many ways, affects your neighbors in a negative fashion? How do you do nothing? You don't even try. That's the point of the story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. The self-righteous people walked on by. I ah, can't be bothered. Uh, the politics is dirty. What, good, what difference does it make? Uh, you, God wants you to be faithful. Leave the fruitfulness up to him. But we're called to be faithful. So your vote is like a talent. What do you do with it? You bury it? You do nothing? How do you do that? So that's one point I made. And another point I made is, you know what else is, is your talent? Is your voice, your uh, knowledge, your wisdom. And I told them, because this is what I do every two years, I, I, put, I put all my personal picks out there, primary picks, general election picks. I put them out on Facebook. I put them out there. And I get blasted for it. I get a lot of crap for that. I can't believe you did this. can't believe you did that. What's wrong with this? But there's a lot of people that value my opinion. And, and, and when given the opportunity to share my opinion on things of importance, I do it. Because I think that's like a talent. Are you investing your talent? You have some perspective. I guarantee you there's some people that would value your opinion when it comes to who you vote for this coming Tuesday or whenever your primary is or in the general election. Don't be afraid to tell them. 
You're not trying to shove it down people's. Just in case you're wondering, in case you're curious, if you if, if you value my opinion in any way, this is who I'm voting for. You have no idea how many people that might actually look up to you on that one. You don't. And and I, for me, I know there's a lot of people that have for years said, hey, Steve, when's your list coming out? And I take that very seriously. And I feel like that's, uh, I got to invest my talent. I got to take two and make it four, take five and make it 10. And so I do, plus I'm from Chicago, so I'm going to vote as often as I can. <laughs> but the, your talent is your voice, your sphere of influence. Okay, you don't have a podcast. You didn't have a radio show. What, people don't know your name. Who cares? Some people do, and that's your field, and you have a sphere of influence there. Are you investing that, your talent, your vote, your voice, your wisdom? Don't, don't be afraid of people. Don't be a man pleaser. Put it out there. Hey, in case you're wondering, this is who I'm voting for. Your vote is a talent. Your voice is a talent. Don't bury it. Invest it. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. That's why I've got, uh, coming up next week, I'm interviewing Preston Sprinkle, this book right here. Uh, I'm going to push a lot of your buttons with this stuff. Preston Sprinkle, uh, New York Times bestselling author, Christian. It's called Exiles, The Church in the Shadow of Empire. Uh, hey, what's our, one of the things in here is, hey, changing your thinking about, you're, in a, you're a Christian that happens to live in America. And the Bible is very clear that uh, governments at all levels, all across the world, are, are highly influenced demonically. That's, they're not your buddy. That's not the kingdom, capital K kingdom. And so like one little thing here in the book he talks about is they, instead of saying, hey, what's our border policy down there? What are we doing down there? Ask what's America's border policy? Because you should see yourself as an exile from the kingdom, living in a small K kingdom, living in America. And like Ezekiel says, we, we should pray for and work for the good of the country, good for our neighbors, good for us. But do, do we identify a little too much as Americans above and beyond our identification as Christians? Exiles, the church in the shadow of em, empire. And then uh, from his publicist, and I've had Preston on the show before, uh, she suggested this guy, Aaron Wren, Really smart. Life in the negative world, confronting challenges in, in an anti-Christian culture. I'm reading this one right now, then I'll do an interview with them. I'm going to do a bunch of these interviews with the podcast, and especially this summer when classes are done. And there's a good chance this podcast is going to turn into an interview podcast where I just interview really smart people, really experienced people, fascinating people, Christian people, non-Christian people. I love conversations. I get a little tired. If you listen to the radio show, you know I get a little tired of the news of the days. plenty of that stuff out there. But there's not a lot of Christians providing conversations that are really helpful for other Christians. And, and I, I get a lot of joy and a lot of benefit and, and gain a lot of wisdom uh, from reading really good books. Aaron Wren, Life in the Negative World. I'll get him on here. The premise of the book, basically, is we've had, uh, we had a pro-Christian environment uh, for a few hundred years in this country. Then uh, starting about in the 50s and 60s, it became kind of neutral. The country was neutral to your position as Christian, especially moral positions, and now it's negative. So the first time in American history, the, the country writ large, even though there's still a lot of evangelicals and evangelicals are a significant part of the Republican Party, we are a minority in the country. And so how do you live out your faith in a negative world? Meaning the country largely now has a negative view of Christianity and what we preach, especially when it comes to moral ethical issues. So there's that. How, how do we live? And that's why I'm trying to teach these students with Noble U, NobleUschool.com. How do you live in this place when it's getting darker and more difficult and we're going to be rejected more and more all the time? And I, and I really feel compelled by, by the Lord that that should become a central aspect of this podcast. How, how do we live in this crazy world?
as it's turning its back more and more on him and by extension on us here in the Americans experiment, right? So sad, but that's the reality of it. So we'll see. Pray for me. And right now I'll pray for you and then we'll be done. Father God, thank you for this time to be together. I just want to pray for my friend. Lord, do you know who they, I, I know some of them personally. I know them well. Some I, I know a little bit. Some I don't know at all. But, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and God the Father, uh, I'm praying for you. God, God knows you. Even if I don't, God knows you. He loves you. He died for you. Your value is based purely on the fact that you're made in his image. So he doesn't, he's not grading you on a curve. He doesn't love you more or less because of how you look or how smart you are or your job or lack thereof of your, what you've done for the kingdom, how many times you've shared the gospel. He loves you deeply and abidingly, regardless of all that stuff. Now, he calls you to be obedient, of course, but he loves you. He knows the number of hairs in your head. And so, Father, I, I pray for my friend that you would bless them, lead them, encourage them, strengthen them, bind up the enemy's activities in their life, help them with this, the pain that keeps them up at night, help them with the sin that they agonize over, or Lord, perhaps they, they need to agonize over their sin. I just pray for you to move in a powerful way in their life, bless them, let them remind them, Lord, that you're real, that you care, that you'll never leave them nor forsake them. Give them wisdom to deal with the challenges in their life. Help them to be a blessing to their loved ones and their friends and the neighbors and maybe coworkers, Lord. I just pray you'd move in their life in such a powerful, profound way. And Lord, thank you for loving us and coming after us, dying for us, and offering us an eternity in heaven with you. We love you and we praise you and I thank you for my friend. I pray your blessings on their life in Christ's name. Amen. All right, gang, there you go. I appreciate you. Love you. Until next time. Uh, God willing, there'll be a, 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 a next time, right? And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.